the idea that you can really commit to enjoying things. Now, when we look at anxiety, depression, trauma, addictions, it can be very hard to make that decision, but change is possible and there is hope and there is a lot of help that is available. So even within that, if we make that commitment, I'm going to enjoy the ride no matter what. And if there's something that's blocking me, I'm going to do something about it because the alternative, like you said, is that people die. And so many people and entrepreneurs and in you know, my own personal experience going through depression and addiction, I was very isolated professionally during those times. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset Show. This is a podcast about the financial, money, and recreational mindset needed to successfully plan for and live your best life before and through retirement. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset Show and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Dr. Manuel Astra, the founder of Your Next Act. Manuel started Your Next Act to help high-achieving entrepreneurs find a mental strength to not just survive their ventures, but thrive. After seeing for himself the change that consciously making an effort to embrace the journey and block out negativity made in his own life, he knew he needed to share this knowledge with others. What makes Dr. Astruck unique is he has been working as a psychiatrist for over 20 years and the last 15 in his own private practice. He also has experience in the addictions field as the medical director of Saratoga County Alcohol and Substance Abuse Services and previously worked as the medical director of the Saratoga Hospital Mental Health Unit. Manuel's path was as a result of his own personal life events, and I'm looking forward to sharing our conversation with you. Well, hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, and I have the pleasure of being with Dr. Manuel Astruct, who has a very unique background. He has a personal psychiatry practice, and he also has recently launched Your Next Act, which we'll get into a little bit more as the show goes on. Thanks for joining us, Manuel. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So listen, I want to jump right in here, right? You're a board certified psychiatrist with over 20 years experience, and now you've decided or have gone in and launching your next act. Can you tell us about your path to launching it? We have to go back to 2008. Okay. To get the backstory, at that point, I was a successful psychiatrist in a private practice. I'd had experience working in inpatient. I'd been the medical director of the local inpatient medical psychiatric mental health unit. I was the medical and continue to be the medical director of the outpatient chemical dependency program for the county. And from all outward appearances, I was successful. But in September 2008, I had something's got a change moment. I was completely burnt out. I was fried. And the month before, in August, my twin sister had actually passed away after three years of fighting a brain cancer. And it was just striking to me one Saturday, just thinking about things and looking at a picture of her, how gracefully she had handled her illness, how she had made the best out of all the circumstances that she had, and how I was healthy and in a good position and so absolutely miserable. So that started a period of like a commitment, no matter what, 
I've got to enjoy the ride, no matter what's going on, just the inspiration from Magdalena. And over the last 12 years, I've been trying new things and made some immediate changes and some longer term changes in my life. I've been following what I call little adjacent possibles. They're small side bets that require a little time, a little resource of money, not too much, and just enjoying trying different things in the course of my day with my practice. I'm pretty busy, so it's taken a while. And three years ago, the commitment that I made was I'm going to go all in on coaching. And the first iterations of the coaching program were here locally in-person workshops. Lately, it's become virtual. And the idea is that we're never finished products. And you know, coaching is a great place for people who have dreams and aspirations to get better. Yeah, I, I agree with you. So basically, and again, I'm sorry for your loss of Magdalena, but at the same time, it seems like her spirit is going to now stay with you indefinitely and every day as you work through this practice and, and your own life. She's served as a tremendous inspiration, it seems like, and kind of like your next act, she's the responsible one, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. I think about her every day. She's with me every day and really... She was so important in in having me just kind of understand that we have choices in in how we think and how we approach the world. And even for myself, you know, as a psychiatrist, I spend all day long helping other people. Right. But we oftentimes need help. And part of the messaging for me, and I like to work with entrepreneurs, is that our default is to work harder. If there's a problem, we can solve it by just working harder at the problem. And it's not unusual that we find, I mean, in today's world, trauma, depression, burnout, addiction, I've had all of that in iterations uh, you know, before 2008, and I went through all of that alone. And it's important to know that there's hope, that you don't have to be alone. And elevating the conversation around mental health, burnout, addictions, decreasing stigma, and then Finding a way where we can help people not only be resilient, really, but be anti-fragile, like come out stronger. Like when you go to the gym and you push yourself, you come out stronger for the effort of what you've done. And the coaching program, that's what we do. Yeah, you're talking to the choir in some regards, because as you know, I sit on the national board for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So mental health is very important to me. And I think it's something that we have a tendency not to focus on our own mental status and well-being. And it's something that we have to do more of. So I'm all for that. And I think that having a coach is a key and vital aspect of being successful Because if you look at most successful people, whether they're athletes or business people, they rely on others to help them get through certain aspects of their life and or business. And it may not be a direct coaching relationship. It could be a mentor-mentee. But if you don't have those, sometimes a coach and having that independent party to evaluate and help you navigate is very important and can alleviate a lot of that stress. So can we tell people what I think you alluded to it a little bit and touched on it a little bit. How are you looking to help people? Obviously, you stated the mental aspects. What exactly are you looking to do through that program and that platform, Manuel? It's transforming lives. The understanding that a natural state and why we do what we do 
is to be happy. And I've been working with people for years now in, in mental health with alleviating depression and anxiety and getting people from where they're not functioning to, to where they're able to function. But just being able to function and do well should not be where we stop. Happiness is something that's achievable and doable for all of us. And the important part is to operationalize and to, to think about how you think about happiness. So I'll tell you a little story. My son, Andrew, who recently graduated from college, he was a philosophy and a film major. His last year in college, he had a philosophy class on happiness. And he said what he took away from the philosophy class on happiness is that it's impossible to define happiness. <laughs> and he also had uh, his last year a public speaking class, which was daunting for him, but, but he rocked it. He did really well. And one of the last talks that he gave I'm not going to get this perfect in terms of how he actually presented this, but he gave everybody as they came in on the desk, he had an envelope and he told folks, there's a $5 bill in that envelope that I'm giving all of you. I'm going to give you the ability to choose how you spend that money. And I can tell you some things about the long-term outcomes and the short-term outcomes of spending that money. Some of you are going to take that money and you're going to go have a beer. And some of you are going to go get some chips. And some of you are going to get a burger. Those things are going to be fleeting and you might have a moment of pleasure because you spent some money that you didn't have before. But that's not happiness. Some of you might choose to invest in a notebook and start journaling every single day. And what I can tell you is that's not going to be in that moment nearly as gratifying. But in the long run, you're going to be much happier for having spent the money that way. So that's not investment advice, right? <laughs> right, not investment advice. So the point is that happiness is really very hard to define for ourselves. And I've come up with a model that works for me and that helps people to conceptualize the sorts of activities that can lead us to have greater overall happiness in our lives. And, and I'll get to that in a minute, but any comments or reflections so far? Yeah. So, I mean, Manuel, I think what we're talking about here is a lot to do with mindset. And I think your son brings up an interesting point about happiness. I think happiness, there's not one fixed definition for it. It means different things to different people. And different things will bring different people happiness. And how they spent that money is a clear indication of what their views or philosophies are around what they feel will ultimately bring them that happiness, I guess. Right. I'm sure you learned a lot from that experiment. Yeah. And, you know, the, the term that we think about with happiness is there's a couple of things that are relevant. So number one is that. Oftentimes, happiness, we think of, you know, kind of immediate short-term gratification, things that feel good in the moment. Those tend to be fleeting. And if you have them presented to you, if you have the opportunity to, I don't know, you get a new car and you're like excited about your new car and you're excited about your new car. After a while, you adapt to that new car and it no longer is a source of happiness, right? That's an adaptation that your brain makes to something that you now consider to be your new norm. Right. And we think of happiness in terms of things that come in with like a neon sign. <laughs> like it's, it's really big, bold, and like you really feel it. What we don't tend to think of with happiness are small moments of pleasure, clouds in the morning, the feeling of, you know, this morning it was three degrees outside, but the crisp air when I walked outside, that was stimulating. That was a happy moment. Right. So we can find happiness and gratitude tied into that a lot. But a model that I've developed has four pieces to it. 
And the first piece is, and this is all mindset, like you said, how do you think about things? Right. So the first piece is an acknowledgement that we are never finished products, right? So we're always learning and growing. And as long as we have that opportunity to learn and grow, we have a shot at happiness. When we start stagnate, when we're chasing after the numbing out, watching TV all the time, eating, drinking, and there's any number of things that will do to numb out, right. no longer growing or changing, and that puts a damper on happiness. Another part is the realization that connection, right? What we're doing right now, having a conversation, connecting with others is a critical part of our happiness. Some of the longest running experiments that have been done in psychiatry and in medicine really involved a group of students that were started to be studied through Harvard. Right. Like, 50, 60 years ago, they've had three principal investigators because the study has just kept going. And one of the hallmarks of both health and satisfaction with life have to do with the degree of connection and relationships that people have, right? Mm -hmm. So our ability to connect and have connections is critically important. And one of the new things that they're talking about is that loneliness is like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day in terms of its overall impact on your health. Right. Yeah, I think in recent years, probably in the last three or four years, the UK has uh, created a new governmental position, which is a minister of loneliness for this exact reason. Yeah, and it's very, so learn, grow, connect, like we really have to double down on, on the connections, blazing your own trail, right? Learn to blaze your own trail. So when I went into medicine, it was a default decision. I was told that I was smart and good in science and math and I'd be a good doctor. There wasn't a lot of thought process on my part at that age as to like, what options do I have? And what does blazing my own trail look like? It was like, you've got to be doing something. And it was just assumed in my family that you would be doing something professional. So it was like a nice default decision where you don't have to make a decision. Over time, it's helpful to be thinking about, you know, what your guiding principles are, what your values are. What do you want out of life? What is the trail that you're going to be blazing for yourself, irrespective of status or success or what society expects? But it's really kind of an intentional way of living your life and growing yourself in your career. Life by design, not by default, right? Right. That's what I like to say. Right, right, exactly. So blaze your trail, life by design, not by default. And finally, the idea that you can really commit to enjoying things. Now, when we look at anxiety, depression, trauma, addictions, it can be very hard to make that decision. But change is possible and there is hope and there is a lot of help that is available. So even within that, If we make that commitment, I'm going to enjoy the ride no matter what. And if there's something that's blocking me, I'm going to do something about it. Because the alternative, like you said, is that that people die. And so many people and entrepreneurs and in my own personal experience going through depression and addiction, I was very isolated professionally during those times. Yes. Let's bring this back to entrepreneurs because that's who you want to work with here in your next act, right? So why is the mindset so important and so critical for this group of people? I belong to 
two organizations, EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, and Strategic Coach. And what's striking to me is how much those communities work on themselves. And the advantages that you get as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, when you're working on your mental fitness and growing yourself, your personal growth and development, your company grows to the ability that you're able to sustain your own personal growth and development. So that's incredibly important. I think entrepreneurs are looking for advantages. How do they get back to enjoying the journey that they've set on? And and so many times the stresses, the demands of work can take you away from that. Right. Well, I mean, you bring up a good point, right? So the burnout and the stress brings you away from that. And all entrepreneurs are atypically a personalities. They have drive and ambition. So is that really the main driver as far as why so many entrepreneurs and business owners experience burnout and stress? Or is there more to it? I think that that's, you know, a huge part. And then what's the default conditioning that that folks have? Default is that we overcome problems by working harder. We overcome problems and relax. If we're not intentional, like by design, we end up eating, watching Netflix, drinking. But there's all sorts of habits and coping skills that don't really lead to recovery from the stresses and demands of the day and hook you on a path to getting stronger. Yeah, I mean, it's very easy, I guess, to get off track, right? And there are things that, I guess, the extra stresses and impacts on the business owners and entrepreneurs can certainly lead them down that path. Besides entrepreneurs, what other types of people are you looking to help and work with? Are entrepreneurs really your ideal person or people to work with? Or are there other avenues or other industries and people types that you're looking to work with and bring your coaching to? So as a psychiatrist, I'm not much of a knowledge expert in marketing, but all the marketing people that I've talked to say, (laughs) narrow your niche and start there. So that's what I'm doing in terms of the marketing that I'm doing. The impact of the work that I do can benefit lots of other people. What I'm looking for in my coaching are people who are already successful, want to be more successful, and are recognizing that they're getting in their own way. Their mindset is part of what's causing the problem. And in addition to that, folks who are successful and are dealing with stress, trauma, burnout, mental health issues. I love to work with them. And in my coaching hat, I don't act as a therapist and I don't act as the person who's going to prescribe medications if that's required. But I'm certainly someone who can help someone navigate both of those and focus on the growth that they want to make and where they want to get to. Yeah. So, I mean, you bring up a great point. How has your training, you've had 20 years or so training as a psychiatrist, I'm being in private practice. How has that helped you and prepared you to better help people now in business? I've seen people in from all walks of life. And one of the things that I've gotten very good at is understanding people and how their thinking is interfering with their ability to achieve what they want to achieve. That's great. And do you feel that I haven't run into personally many folks that are like you where they're a coach and also have the training that you have on the psychiatry side? 
Do you feel that that is a major advantage to you being a coach that has that training, that experience versus somebody who may be a business coach? They may have been very successful in business and now they want to help others there. But do you think that there's really a huge differentiator there because you have that psychiatry background? Yeah, 100%. I've been doing this for a long time. And the knowledge that I bring is something that a lot of people don't have. One of the concerns that I had when I was first thinking about this idea of becoming a coach was that in my profession as a psychiatrist, I was part of a profession. There's codes of conduct. There's a certain amount of training and metrics, right? You got to take tests and you you have to be board certified. And there's ways that you do that. You can't just call yourself a psychiatrist and start prescribing medication. So there's a profession and a code of conduct that that's associated with that. Coaching seemed like it was the wild west. And the only requirement to be a coach is you call yourself a coach. And there's some outstanding coaches that are out there. But I was a bit reluctant to, to go into that field because of what my peers and other people might think about. Mm -hmm. What I finally doubled down on and, and what I ultimately decided was that in my profession as a psychiatrist, my ability to self-reveal to my patients is limited by the code of conduct of a psychiatrist. And there's very, very good reasons for that. As a psychiatrist, no, you don't want your psychiatrist telling you your problems, right? You come in. So the focus there is on the patient. I think as a coach, especially working with other leaders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, people who have done well, my ability to self-reveal, I know what you're going through. I know what it's like. There is hope. I've had some of these same problems. And that level of connection with that kind of person, I think is incredibly helpful at really quickly moving into rolling up our sleeves and getting to work. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that being able to discuss life experiences and sharing similarities and differences is key to the coaching part of the business. Because if I'm looking for a coach, I want to know that you've seen this or done this and successfully navigated it and interested to know how. I think those are key components of all that. So I can see how the fact that when you have the psychiatrist hat on versus the coaching, it's a difficult thing to navigate without having that ability to share those experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So as an entrepreneur, though, now, or as a coach, rather, you have the ability to share these experiences and then you then can utilize your knowledge, your training as a psychiatrist to help work them through the mental state or the mindset piece of those problems, I guess. Exactly. And I keep clear with my clients that when I'm wearing my coaching hat, I can't be the person who's prescribing medications. If I see warning signs or things that I'm concerned about, I'm certainly capable of talking about that. So I've had uh, coaching clients who've had family members who've been going through mental health things, and it's been tremendously helpful for them that they get my perspective on, on what's happening in treatment and what is expected in the road ahead. But I'm not acting as a therapist and I'm not acting as the psychiatric prescriber. But I can't turn off my head all the knowledge that I have that I can bring to bear. I can just make sure that writing the line between what hat I'm wearing and what I'm capable of doing. Right. 
you bring up a number of points as far as what entrepreneurs experience and some of those pitfalls and landmines. And I think you would agree in many cases, a lot of the times they're very similar, just different circumstances, different facts, maybe different outcomes. But you could probably draw a pretty stark line of similarity through a lot of people with regard to especially this group, entrepreneurs and business owners. Are there ideal ways, some easy things that if entrepreneurs are listening to this, that tools or methods that they could use to kind of keep themselves in the right mindset? Are there certain little tricks or tips that they can use to help them navigate that course? Yeah, and I'll give that in, in the, the way I developed this is kind of how I helped myself. So back in 2008, when I drew the line in the sand, moment of truth, I've got to make a decision to enjoy the ride no matter what. I've gone back and, and kind of packaged that up. And really what I was working on, the initial things you want to focus on is your energy. And I like talking about energy because it's about health. And as a physician, I also like to start with something that's going to give you some immediate bang for the buck now, but can also like help you 20 or 30 years down the road when you're trying to move and think and put your luggage up on a, you know, overhead bin. Right. Back when we go to flying again. <laughs> but the energy pieces start with what I started. I changed one meal. I was eating terrible. Like, no excuse. I'm a physician. I know how to eat, but you know, all of us get into bad habits. I got into terrible habits. I changed one meal. And from that one meal over time, slowly and gradually, I changed my diets completely so that I'm pretty health conscious with my eating now. Moving more. So before I got into an exercise program that I'm following now, I would try to pick up exercise. I'd do an hour of exercise and it would last two or three days and I'd fall off the wagon for two, three, four, six months. What I started by moving more was just a very low bar to entry, which was five minutes. Five minutes of push-ups, five minutes of sit-ups. I could work that in at any point. doesn't matter if you're not moving, if you don't have an exercise program, get started on that and keep moving. So from five minutes every day, it built up to 15 minutes every day. And now it's five days a week and I've got different routines that I can do depending on the time available to me. I've got longer workouts that'll take me an hour, hour and a half. I've got shorter things that I can do for, for stretching and flexibility that I can do in 10, 15 minutes. Right. But I make sure that I'm keeping all of that intact. Sleeping, like sleeping is something that we do when we have to, right? And the mindset shift for me is like, I have to really set my sleep schedule and make everything fit around that instead of make my sleep schedule fit around my life. So a regular time that I'm going to bed and a regular time that I'm getting up and to the best of my ability, maintaining that seven, eight, nine hours, whatever it is that an individual needs. I aim for eight. I don't always get eight, but that's what I aim for. Right. A meditation practice is was an aspiration for me in the last year. It's gotten a lot better, but meditating on a regular basis, not necessarily every day. You got to give yourself a break if you don't nail it, but on a regular basis, meditating. So these are things that will help you now and will have payoffs later. Sure. I'd like to know if you agree with me, but I think a lot of us know inherently, maybe not the meditation one, but the sleeping, the eating, the exercising for sure. We all know those are good things to do, but we also think that we have to go from where we are today at going zero miles an hour 
with respect to those three things and to go to 100 miles an hour. And that's not necessarily the case. Like you said, if you want to make change, change starts with an incremental change, and then you gradually increase that over time. And that will help your mindset, which I think will encourage you to want to do more of it. You agree with that? Yeah, 100%. So those little wins build momentum. As entrepreneurs, you know, high achievers, we want to go fast. And that zero to 100 is what we all want, but that's hard to maintain, right? So so doing the incremental changes is definitely the more sustainable way to make change. There's a couple of other things that I... so, So that energy piece with the body, and then in terms of your mind... I cut out the news. I used to love to listen to sports radio and I cut that out because it had become more about drama than excellence. Gratitude on a daily basis, starting the day with gratitude or ending the day with gratitude, but that's been shown and over and over and over to, to help with your mindset and your levels of happiness. In 2008, I discovered podcasts like we're doing right here. Right. And I found them so amazing. I was able to surround myself with people who had aspirations and mindsets and wisdom that I could surround myself with. I literally built out a tribe of virtual mentors. And our brains are very much primed by the environment that we put them in. You're listening to the news. You're going to have one set of thoughts. You're listening to you know, information that's helping you dream of a bigger future for yourself. That's going to give you a completely different set of thoughts. Yeah, I agree with you a thousand percent. You basically, with podcasts that you enjoy and are healthy for you, you can basically create your own talk radio if you want by putting them back to back to back. So we're a big fan of those. I want to go back for a second to meditation real quick before we wrap up, because that's something that I personally have struggled with. And not so much, I understand and fundamentally get the benefits of it, something that interests me. But inevitably, I sit down, I try to meditate, and I cannot, for the life of me, turn off the brain enough that I find that I got enough out of the whole practice of meditation. Is that something that you find? And I would imagine that a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business owners may experience that same thing. For those people like me, in regards to the meditation piece, how do you turn that off enough that you'll get the benefits and actually enjoy it all at the same time? The simple tweak is that we change the expectation and how you're defining you know, the act of meditation. So the act of meditation, when you define it as turning off the mind, will all fail. <laughs> you, okay. you, can't, you can't do that. So when you get really good, that's why I'm failing, I guess I'm setting myself up for that. (laughs) Yeah. You know, what I've heard over and over again is that meditation, the muscle of meditation is noticing that you're lost in thought, noticing that you were like focusing on your breathing. You got like two breaths in and now you're thinking about what's for dinner. Like I've got that work to do and, you know. Right. You know, got into an argument, you know, got a flat tire. So you, you're. Were you in my last meditation session? <laughs> you're immediately lost in thought. And meditation is at some point noticing that you're lost in thought and bringing the focus back to the breathing. It's really that awareness of how our brains are constantly producing thoughts. 
And ultimately, like as you meditate more, you start to just kind of observe the thoughts. And these thoughts, these stories that we're telling ourselves that we get caught up in, none of that is by design, right? So life by design doesn't happen while we're just thinking random thoughts. Life by design happens when you're actually focusing and trying to get from one point to another in an intentional way. But our brains are constantly telling us these stories that we'll latch onto and we can completely gas ourselves up. Why I'm supposed to be mad at my boss. Like why my employee didn't do what they did. (laughs) Like, you know, what what happened with my accountant? Like he's not getting back to me. We get lost in these thoughts and these stories and we gas ourselves up and there's so many other intentional stories or thoughts we could be having. And then we can learn to put blinders up to those thoughts. That was another part of what I did early, early on was to just kind of not let my brain thoughts go into negative directions. It would want to, and I'd be like, I'm just not paying attention to that stuff anymore. Blinders to those thoughts. Well, I'm going to give the uh, the meditation another chance, and I'm going to take your advice, and we'll see how it goes. I'll let you and the uh, other listeners, I'm sure, know on a uh, future show. So listen, it's been very eventful, very informative, and we end every single show by asking all of our guests the same question. And I'm sure you're going to have a great one for this. What did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? I start all my mornings with the coldest shower that I can possibly take. That's what I did today. Okay. And you didn't do that outside in the three degrees, did you? Oh, I couldn't get the water running out there. Full <laughs> on oh, cold inside in the bathtub. All right. Well, that'll wake you up and get you ready for the day. That's for sure. So yeah. listen, Manuel, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. If those who are listening want to learn more about your next act and what and how you work with entrepreneurs, how do they get in touch with you? You can find me at Manuel Astruc, that's M-A-N-U-E-L-A-S-T-R-U-C dot com. And also on Facebook, my coaching practice has a Facebook page, Manuel Astruc Coaching, where every morning before I start seeing patients, uh, you know, a little before seven, I'll do a two or three minute little morning musings about success, happiness, leadership. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely have to take a look for that and our listeners will as well. And we'll have all this information in the show notes for everybody so they don't have to remember it or write it down. It's been a pleasure having you, Manuel, and thank you for your time and make it a great day. Thanks. It was a blast. Thank you so much. I want to thank Dr. Manuel Ashtruck for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset Show. Dr. Ashtruck is a true example of someone creating the life they want to live. His personal experiences have created a shift in his own life, and now he is using this knowledge, combined with his training as a psychiatrist, to help entrepreneurs battle the stress and mental exhaustion that high achievers may feel and have them achieve greater success in both life and business. Dr. Ashtruck can be found across all social media platforms, and all the contact information needed to find him can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandfinancial.com and be sure to smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content. And listen, please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. 
Be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about the mindset needed to successfully plan for and live your best life before and through retirement. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.